Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome back to Masterclass Theology. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We have the honor of being in Colossians chapter 3 today. Let me open with a brief word of prayer, and then we'll journey forth. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for um, this opportunity we have to study your word. I personally thank you for bringing my family to and from vacation this past week, and and for the flexibility my my friend Professor D has with regards to teaching and recording, and and I just value his friendship as well. And I I hope, God, that comes across in our conversations is how much that we appreciate each other and appreciate your word. And and so, God, we just thank you very again for tonight. We pray that this conversation would be pleasing to you and that that you would explain your word to us, Lord, that you would give us what we need to know and help us to apply it to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let me get my Bible. So we are in Colossians chapter 3. And... What we're going to do tonight is Colossians 3, as in terms of the Bible translation that we have, it, it does end abruptly. So we will be going to chapter 4, verse 1, and you will know when we get there why. Just see, so we'll be in largely chapter 3. We're going to call this session Colossians 3, but it will go into chapter 4 for one verse. Just so nobody's surprised and holding it against us or anything like that. Okay, so we begin with our first verses here, 1 to 4. And if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, Mick, in these four verses here, where is our focus to be? Well, Paul tells us to set our focus on things above. And what that is, is essentially heaven, with heaven being really a reference to God. In other words, we're to focus on God and Jesus. And and why is that important? Well, because God and Jesus, this has to do with eternity. And he contrasts that with the earthly, because the earthly we know is, is not going to be eternal at least not in its current state. And, and, and Paul uses, he uses kind of a, a metaphor here that we've heard him use before. So, so he talks about, we've been raised with Christ. Okay. So we understand, you know, Easter Sunday, the tomb is empty. Christ has been mm-hmm. raised. Okay. Yeah. So now seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Okay. So you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So when your life appears, so Paul is using a metaphor here, using death and raised. And how do we understand that we are both raised and dead? Because Paul talks about the, the for the Corinth or the, the Colossian Christians here, he yeah. says that they are raised, but also that they're dead. So how are we to understand that, Mick? Well, obviously, this means in, in the spiritual sense that when we, we place our trust in Jesus for salvation. And, and, you know, if you really think about it, we've been discussing this pretty much from every Pauline epistle from Galatians 2.20 to the present. This this comes into effect somehow. 
that we, we've been joined with Jesus and his death and resurrection by faith. This happens vicariously. Uh, God has made this transaction accessible to us via grace through faith, as it says in Ephesians 2.8. Yeah, I like your connection with, with Galatians 2.20. Yeah. Because if we really believe that, that I have been crucified with Christ. So now that was speaking of Christ's death. And so in a spiritual sense, now mm -hmm. I am dead. Yeah. And so, but now Christ lives in me. So obviously Christ is, he's been raised. So now yeah. I have this kind of resurrection life. So this is, this is something that is mind-blowingly amazing. Yeah. And so now our focus is to be in heaven because really that's where our life, that's not only the direction of our life, but that's the essence of our life right now is no yes. longer, we're no longer citizens of planet earth as it were. Yeah. We're, we're moving toward as Hebrews would tell us, a city whose architect and builder is God. Yeah. And so it's almost like Paul is or was expecting expecting them to train their brains a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's something about like you're not if you're focused just on here and right now and all your problems, and evidently they had plenty of problems in Colossae. But if that was where all your focus is, you're missing out on what the Christian life offers. Right. Now, Nick Paul also uses one more possibly confusing uh, analogy here. He says that uh, they are hidden. And so what, what in the world is he talking about there? And I'll just, I'll just reread the verse again so for our listeners have an idea of what we're talking about him. Verse 3 again, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So yeah, what I think the, the idea of being hidden in Christ means that our lives uh, and our salvation are secure in Jesus, really. You know, in other words, no one can snatch it. No one can steal it. No one can do anything to it or harm it or anything. It, it, it's secure in Jesus. And I think that's the, that's the whole emphasis of, of the hidden in, in, in Jesus. Okay, secure. It, it's being yeah. kept. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Think of a mother hand protecting her chicks, you know. She hides them under her, you know, and keeps them safe. Keeps nice. them warm. You know, and, I, and I, that's kind of what came to mind as, as I was reading this. Okay, so we continue. That's, that's, this, this is good stuff. Continue to 5 to 11 here. Put to death, therefore, what is the earthly in you? And he gives a nice list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Wow. So I guess uh, when things are dead, we expect them to stay dead. So how important is it that things put to death stay dead in the believer's life? Well, it's, it's a vital importance. And one of the things that um, our listeners and, and, and readers of this chapter, I want them to see is that this is going to be an important uh, two-part dynamic, as, as we're going to see in the next couple of verses, you know? Worldly things are to die, and then they should stay dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's I mean again, that's Galatians 2.20. I've been yeah, crucified yeah. with Christ, and I no longer live. So now... There's a part of me that no longer is, is living, it's dead. So when Paul yeah. says, for you died in the first section there, yeah. okay. Or Christ, who is your life, well, what did he say in Philippians 3? 
yeah. to live as Christ. Right. And, and I, you know, and I, I might have been brought back to, to uh, Ephesians 2, 1 always, because again, you, you were dead in your sins. In other words, these are the things that we, that we were dead in. So therefore we, we definitely need to die to them. So he mentions wrath here. Why would Paul need to remind them about God's wrath? Okay. Cause it comes down to this. If sin is why we needed salvation in the first place, why the heck do we insist on wanting to sin? I mean, this is what we're being saved from. It, it makes no sense. Sense, you know, sin is why God's wrath is coming. So then, how is it that as, as God's saved children, we want to persist in the thing that that essentially killed us or or left us for dead? It makes no sense. So you know, this is exactly why God's wrath is coming in the first place because of sin. And it reminds us also of our true nature of salvation. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're being saved from that wrath. Yeah, there's no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. Right. I mean, so that wrath, and so I, I like that reminder there because it reminds them, hey, this used to be you. Yeah. Now that wrath was placed on Jesus instead of you. And it, it's been dealt with. Your sin has been dealt with. That wrath has been given to your sin. But it's a, it's the, this former way you, you used to live. That's why yeah. God's wrath had to come. So this is like an under-the-table salvation reminder. Yeah, yeah. And it's good for all of us. Oh, yeah. All right. So we have our, our, our next question here. And uh, oh, my goodness, I just lost it. So what so we have the former self and, and 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 what are we to do with this former self? What does he tell us to do here? So going back to the two part dynamic that was mentioned earlier, the Christian life is a picture of, of uh, taking off the old filthy set of clothes, the old life and, and you know, the dead life. This is the same picture of dying to sin and even actively killing sin in our lives. The old self and all its vices has to go. Mm. And, and I like how he, he, he talks about the new self, but not just the new self, mm -hmm. the new and renewed self. Yeah. So what are we to do with the new self? So the other part of the two-part dynamic is as you're putting off, taking off clothes, you can't stay like that. You got to put on something new, new wardrobe, new clean wardrobe, the new life that he's given us in Christ. You know, this is the new resurrected life that, that we've been given when, when we join Jesus in faith. In fact, the taking off of the old is, is meaningless if you don't replace it with something new. I mean, that that's that's kind of a world concept if you really think about it. Oh, you have to shed this. You have, have to shed that. This is very much in line with the parable that Jesus taught when he was talking about the guy who got rid of the, the demon but never filled his life with, with the spirit. So what happens? The demon notices that the life is still empty and he comes back with, with seven other demons that are worse than himself. And again, the replace the old self. It's not enough just to take it off, you know, and, you know, the old self, which is self-led, you know, selfish life. And, you know, and we need to re replace it with putting on by putting on the new infinitely improved there, I say, spirit led Christ centered life. Yeah. So it's not enough to take something off. You got to put something in. Right. And I, I like how it's being renewed mm -hmm. in the knowledge of the image of his creator. It, it's yeah. almost like a Genesis 1, 26 and 27 idea there. We're made, we're made in the image of God. Yes. And so now in Christ, we are now able to fully and finally bear that image the proper way. Yes. And so, or I guess maybe not finally, I guess there's, there's probably still an element of already and not yet that we're waiting yes. for when we have the resurrection bodies as we enter into eternity, but at least in the sense of it's new and it's being renewed. 
And so it's, I, I, I like that where it's, it's not just like where God just said, okay, here's a new purpose. Now go, go have at it kids. And then he walks mm-hmm. away. No, he's, it's the Holy spirit is still active with us yes. and he's still renewing us. It's back in the day when we had web browsers that required it, you would be able to go to the top of your, of your computer keyboard and press F5. It would reload your browser page. And it would hopefully when you did that, it would load faster. And back when the internet was slower, you had a dial up or whatnot. So yeah, it, you could reload it. Or now we have apps on our phones that renew and that kind of you download upgrades. And so we get that idea of you're still getting fresh content yeah. and fresh. So we're not getting fresh content in terms of Bible or anything like that, but God is still active in our lives. Yeah. Even though we have this new self, it's still being renewed. I like that. Yes. It's encouraging to know that God's with us still, that Emmanuel promise. Amen. All right. So we have verse 11. Verse 11 is interesting. He uses a bunch of uh, either ors and Greek and Jew and all the way to barbarian and, and Scythian. The Scythians get some play here in the, in the New Testament. What in the world is he communicating in verse 11, Mick? So basically what he's saying is that our differences don't matter compared to Christ. Jesus has to be the ultimate overarching truth of our lives, period. Mm. You know, and it's not that God doesn't value distinctions. He made distinction. It's part of his grand design. So he loves it, but he doesn't want it to be the thing that defines us. And that's the thing that we need to, to notice. What we need to be defined is by him and by Jesus. Jesus has to be that ultimate thing. My being an American, Puerto Rican, man, or whatever, none of that matters compared to Jesus. You know, and I would even say something along the lines of Paul, I would consider it all a loss for the sake of Christ. Right. Now, well, before we leave this section, Professor D, there's one thing that kind of stood out to me. He says, right before he talks about put off the old self, he says, don't lie to each other. Mm, yeah. And I wonder, did you have a theory on why he added do not lie to each other right before the putting off and putting on? Could there? I, let me give you my thought. And then I'll, yeah. I mean, you, re, you respond to it if you would. My thought was there's a great temptation with the Christian life, especially for those of us who are in recovery, who have a hurt or a habit or a hang up or an issue that we've been dealing with for a while. We've been trusting Christ in. There is a great temptation to say, I've got this. There's a great temptation to really rely upon yourself. And even when we give our testimonies to other people, we talk about our struggles. We might talk about our struggles in certain ways. Like, ah, this used to be me, but it's not me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can see a great temptation with putting off the old self or taking off the old self and putting on the new, where you might be able to say to your brother or sister in Christ, yeah, that used to be me, but it's no longer me anymore. And you might still be in the weeds with it. But you're communicating that you've seen some great victory or whatnot. And he's just flat out saying, don't lie to each other. Just take off and put on. Now, now that's just my theory there. I, I don't know what you think about well, that. Well, I, I, well, let me put this. Way. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, I was as I looked at the list, you know, so he makes kind of like two sets of, of, of lists there when he's talking about the old life. You know, there's the sexual, what I'm going to call the more obvious sin list, which is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and stuff like that, you know, which are the more obvious, like, oh, that's definitely a lost person. But then the following list, and while we will all acknowledge that or admit that they're not good, we tend to kind of give them like a, a pass anger. Oh, you know, but it's justified anger, which by the way, as far as we humans are concerned, there's no such thing as justified anger, um, rage, malicious behavior. And in that list is where he includes not lying to each other as well, because these are the kinds of sins that I think we're, we're less, 
we're more likely to um to give a free pass on and so he goes on in the next section because because you know paul just got done talking about it. And, and, and professor d I, I liked how you tied it to wardrobe it just seems very natural at the end of the day you're taking off the dirty shirt and the, the new day you're putting on the new shirt so so it's I can almost take as, no credit for that paul says it himself there you go there you go so but it's almost like not only do we have this new and renewed you but we get a new wardrobe and yeah. so so what are we to be putting on? So we're going to look at this next section of uh, 12 to 17. And let me pull up the verses again here. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right. so. Looking at verses 12 to 14, what are the wardrobe choices of the new self? Yeah, so I'm thinking about, you know, as I'm looking at this list, I'm thinking, you know, this is the uh, the everyday attire versus the uh, the armor of God from Ephesians, you know? So when nice. you're not in the armor of God, this is what you ought to be wearing. Um, so he talks about compassion in hearts. He talks about kindness. He talks about humility and, and meekness. And one of the ways I distinguish humility and meekness is the humility is the, the internal reality and meekness is, is how it's manifested on the outside and, and patience. And he talks about bearing, bearing with one another, you know, um, and, and you know, and he's, and, and this is seen in, 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 you know, when we forgive one another, when, when we forgive each other. And of course, this can only happen when, when true love is in the picture. Amen. So verse 15 describes the inner person. So how does it describe the inner person, Mick? So he talks about the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. In other words, real harmony can only come from a right relationship with Christ. Th this will be a spirit of unity as well as of gratitude. And, and again, harmony being the external, uh, the vertical relationship with God, which, which directly affects the horizontal relationship that we have with one another. Mick, would you be so bold to say that verse 15 describes the only time you may follow your heart biblically? If the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart, you, but, you're but following the emphasis rule. is Christ ruling, though. Ah, okay. Christ ruling. See, that's the thing. And that's the thing that we have to watch out for. Right. We got to keep that in mind. Christ has to rule it, or otherwise you can't follow that heart for nothing. So you're really not following your heart. You're following not really, no. Christ's rule in following your heart. Christ's okay. rule, yeah. <laughs> I tried to slip that one in there. Okay, so now um, verse 16 brings up the word of God dwelling within you richly. And the interesting thing there, Mick, is that we're so tempted to say, oh, yes, God's word is in me. I'm going to do Psalm 119, hide God's word in my heart. I've got this great devotional life, blah, 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 blah. But no, 
Paul takes it right away to relationships. So how yeah. does now Paul describe how God's word is affecting our relationships? So he talks about that, that the Bible impacts our relationships by, in that it teaches us and it warns us. And it needs to be part of our lives and it needs to be the foundation of our relationship with each other. For instance, what we believe of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, what we understand of God, it has to be informed by the word. And furthermore, if you notice carefully, what Paul writes is one another. In other words, what he's saying is that this has to be done in the community of believers, of, of which he'll go to say, on to say through psalms, hymns, songs. And, you know, and there was a professor I had that once said, you know, heresy generally happens when one person locks himself in a room and tries to do theology without mm -hmm. the counsel of, of others. And I mean, if you think about it, uh, again, because I'm the guy that goes there, I'm going to go to Chuck Russell and the JWs. I'm sorry, they are not Christians. They are not saved. And I, and I will say it because what they say about Jesus not being one with God, they pretty much, have told, by them saying that, they're, they're telling me they're not my brothers in Christ. Mm. So make verse 17 is, is kind of cool. It, it sounds awful familiar. How, how, how important in the life of the Christian is verse 17? Well, verse 17 is very important. And I, and I can't stress this enough. You know, when we were going into this, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question, but I'm so glad you did. This verse is so important. I actually have it posted on my desk. Wow. A daily reminder at work, you know, um, that, that's how important it is. And it says whatever. In other words, everything. That's whatever, whatever's everything we do has to be done for Jesus and with Jesus in mind. And in light of verse one, I would take the liberty of even restating it as, as this in whatever we do, everything we do, whatever we think, say, and do. And this is usually how I pray it in the mornings. God, and let me honor you in everything I think, say, and do taking into context again, verse one, along with in word and deed. Because, you know, everything has to be done for Jesus. And, and that, that to me is the essential practical Christian life. That is the essential practical right. Christian life right there. Right. I'm so glad this verse is here because usually I say, make that there's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or mm. drink or whatever you do, do it all yeah. for the glory of God. That's one of those verses you can't take out of context because yes. of the whatever you do. Yeah. And here's one more. This yeah. has another whatever you do. So it's like this This oh. makes it so you, this, this I'll verse give a little spoiler great. there. 23 kind of says the same thing too, but you know, we're right. getting ahead there. This verse, this verse is always in play. Just yeah. like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, this verse is all you yes. cannot this, you just can't step outside of his context. You always have to be giving glory to God. You always have to be now serving the Lord Christ. And again, the consistency of the word of God and of Pauline epistles, you know, we're hitting on a lot of themes that we've already covered before. And I love that, you know, it's great. Yeah. So we're going to do now a, a kind of a countercultural walkthrough. So here's here's what's cool. Paul was writing to Christians mm -hmm. and, he, and he, and, but all these Christians were in families and so Paul's going to illustrate his old self and new self idea using the Roman family and every aspect of the Roman family to a degree. And so every one of these, I'm, what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses and I'm going to ask Mick, we're going to kind of, we're just going to go through each of those elements verse by verse. 
what would now be different from a countercultural standpoint versus like your, your I'll give you an example that a, a, a Roman wife, a pagan Roman wife, and now a Christian Roman wife. It's like, what would now be different? And so how would that stand out? And so how is it countercultural in the fact that they're taking off the old stuff and putting on the new? So let's, let's read these verses. This is 18 to 25. And actually it goes all the way to chapter four, verse one. So from the beginning, we're going to be in chapter four, verse one. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants or slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So let's just walk through this. Wives, what do you have for so for with the wives, he tells them to submit to their husbands. And again, we saw this in Ephesians, and he hits it here again. And the idea is that, here's this. Submission is not a statement or a, a putting down of dignity or, or worth. Jesus submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to Jesus. Okay, so it's so, so the concept of submission is not what the world has taken it to mean as a put down, as a kind of a somebody leveraging power over another person. This is this is not again submission is not something against worth and dignity, but it is about order and fu function. And bottom line, it really comes down to this question. Do you trust God? Mm. Yeah, and from a countercultural standpoint, this would have stood out. You oh, can yeah. imagine the typical Roman wives all getting together and grumbling about their men. And it, and, But again, it all stems from a lack of trust in God. Mm. So now husbands. So so he goes with the husbands. He says, love your wives. And we again, cross-referencing with, with Ephesians, with its Ephesians counterpart. What does that mean? It means that husbands are, we husbands, because I, I mean, you know, we are husbands, you and I, you know, right. we are to, to not just love our wives, but we're to love our lives in a sacrificial way, because it says that we need to love our wives like Jesus loves his church. And Jesus loved the, the church in a very sacrificial way. You know, th this is a tall order, and yet it's one that we can accomplish in Christ who gives us the strength as we finished reading in Philippians before. Right. And so it, it appears that the typical Roman husband was harsh with his wife. Mm -hmm. So he's telling yeah. Christian husbands, don't be harsh with them. Yeah. Be, love them in a different way. And in Ephesians 5:25 way is sacrificially. Yeah. And here it's attitude as well. And so yeah. okay, he goes on to who's next? Children? Yes, children. So children obeying your parents. What this really is, it's it's training for obeying God and, and really functioning properly in all areas of life. If, if this one is off, this is foundational that if this one is off, the other areas, even our worship of God, even our obedience to God is going to suffer. Obeying parents is practice for, for, for obeying God. With the fathers, um, while, while this one can, can, can be applicable um, to both parents, it really is zeroing in on dads. And I, and I want us to be aware of that. You know, because I mean, there's too much, um, 
changing of, of, of pronouns and things like that going on that I want it to be clear. It really is zeroing on the dads. And my job is to encourage and build my kids and not tear them up down. And as you've mentioned, in the typical Roman household, there could be a lot of putting down. Well, dad was the master. And so he could yeah. do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And so even the moms couldn't really say anything. Dad was the one, it was, it was a male dominated world. Yeah. And so he's telling these males in a male dominated world, be, you're putting on the new self. Something yeah. now has changed about you. Yes. So live differently. Yeah. So uh, after next, father's here, he goes to slaves. Yeah. So slaves. And, and he goes know, for a few verses about slaves too. Oh, yeah. So understanding that what is, what is a slave ultimately? The slave is ultimately the worst case scenario, employment scenario. Mm. You know, so when we understand this, so we understand slaves to be basically employees from the worst case to the best case, you know. And what this means is that as an employee, I need to remember that I'm always representing and therefore ultimately working for God himself. And I, mm. and I love verse 23. Because it pretty much is a fraternal twin, as I mentioned earlier or hinted earlier, to verse 17. Do it for God. Whatever we do, we do it for God. You know, and, and this one too, I also have this one also plastered on my work desk. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's something about if you are a people pleaser, a slave, you used to be a people pleaser. Because mm -hmm. he talks about people pleasing here. And say, if you're really people pleasing, you're not really fearing God, you're really fearing the, the opinion of man. And yeah. so you're fearing their opinion of you more than fearing God. And he's telling him here in this verse, no, fear the Lord. And so you're, you're yeah. a student service to the Lord. That's right. And, and it's, it's really tempting to kind of go into American history and go, this is a black and white kind of slave owner. But in reality, this was as Rome conquered nations, they brought in their best and they took their best and made slaves out of them. So your, your, your Roman slave in the Roman household might have had more education than everybody else in the household. Yeah. He might have been a physician or he was something, a, a grand nature back in his home country. And now he's doing menial tasks or what. We don't know if they all are, are going to land like Joseph in, in Genesis, where he's the master of everything. But these people may be doing things that are vast to their perspective, but they're serving God. And so it's, I mean, the, the Roman slave was treated reasonably well because they were almost like part of the family to a degree, but still they were subservient. Yeah. And now Paul's reminding them, no, you're not going to be people pleasers. You're going to be God pleasers. Yeah. There's something deep about that. Oh, and he yeah. closes off with the masters in chapter four, verse one. What, what, what do we, what do the masters need to hear here? So what the masters needed to understand is that they themselves, and, and again, I'm borrowing very heavily from what we, we, uh, what we did in, in, in Ephesians. They themselves have a master because at the end of the day, we all have a master and that master is God. And we are to, we are to treat as we are treated by God. We've been, what, 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 how, how has God treated us? Well, he's tr treated us with grace that we don't deserve with kindness, with love, this patience that we don't deserve from him. And he's granted this all through Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we have a role model in God. And at the end of the day, we all work for God, even the masters. Wow. Well, this has been, this has been a great chapter. It's been fun to walk through. It's been, uh, it's been interesting on our end. We, we, we've, we've had some technical difficulties that I hope are not going to come through on the recording, if, if I can get them figured out. But, but yeah, so 
it's Mick, I, I think your, your comment that we must be doing something right because we're, we're facing some kind of opposition here in yeah. terms of our internet and our connection. But but Mick, well, let's, let's close our chapter out. What's your closing thought today, sir? So my closing thoughts, you know, is this, you know, with every book, I, and we always say this, I mean, and I know I definitely say this, you know, I, I'm eager to get to this book for, for whatever reason. So with Colossians, one of the big draws to Colossians it's going to be obviously chapter one with a great Christological moment that made me very excited about getting to Colossians, but also these two verses in particular, verses 17 and 23, because when it comes to application, these, these verses, like I said, they're plastered on my work desk. I need this reminder, you know, um, and then again, add for, for, for good measure, verse one about keeping my focus on heaven. Mm. as well so my summary of this chapter is that in everything i think say and do everything i think say and do it all has to be with a mind towards jesus so when i'm watching a secular program or whatever you know i'm i'm always thinking something christian i have to think about which also helps you kind of also be judicious about is this at all something i should really be watching at all and i'm not really going to go into like oh you can't watch this for this because there are certain things in rated r shows or movies that they they can be redeemed you know but bottom line is i'm always thinking saying and doing christian things and that really needs to be to borrow from uh wrong philosophies a mantra of ours it really needs to be that again it's it's a prayer i do every day at work and even outside of work in my weekends, I, I, I prayed it this morning. And again, independent of this series, I've been praying that Father, help me do right in everything I think, say, and do. It, it, it's a continual prayer theme of mine. And that, that and it has to honor Jesus. Amen. Well, where I'm going to land the plane, Professor D, is you know, here I am. I'm, 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 I'm sometimes Counselor Joel as well as Big Rev here. And so I use this, these passages in Colossians all the time in counseling. It, it comes with kind of like when I'm meeting somebody and, they, and they, they tell me, Joel, I really want to change. I want to be closer to God. And so we use Colossians 3 with the old self and the new self. Like there's things yeah. that you're putting on and things that you're taking off. And so I kind of ask, the, we, we, we read these verses together and, and, and I ask these questions. Uh, I, I, I had them kind of describe what would the former you look like? And so listeners, you might be thinking, um, what about the former you must not be the current you? Mm -hmm. what, 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 what about you? Maybe it's the, maybe if you have, um, may, maybe you were, you're led to Christ later on in life and you definitely have a pre-Christ you that you, you remember. Um, maybe you're like me and you were led to Christ at a, at a very young age and you didn't really have a before Christ to a degree. But I know in my life, even, even in my time in Christ, I've had plenty of seasons of hypocrisy. And so it wasn't really a former me, but it was a me that should have known better. But it's still something I, I regret and look back on. So I have things in my life that can't be the current me either. So some of us definitely have a pre-Christ and others have a, are more like me. But what about that former you must not be the current you? And then I also like to ask as we, as we, as we look at you know, the list that Paul gives, the things that we should not be like and the things that we should be like, what convicts you? As we read those verses, something kicked you in the heart and you said, oh gosh, 
that's me or that shouldn't be me or that needs to be me. So what's convicting you? So what about the, the former you must not be the current you? How has the current you been convicted by this chapter? And then I just like to ask this. Just think about it cleanly. What needs to stop and what needs to start? Paul gives a definite stopping and starting. He's telling us to take off that old self and put out. So stop being the old you. Remember the old you died. So it's like dead things are not to be alive anymore. So it's like, that's it's it. If it's alive, it needs to be dead. It's been crucified with Christ and no longer lives in Galatians 2.20. So it's like, what needs to stop? And now what needs to start? There's intentionality there. So that's how I land the plane, Professor D. Nice. I like, very, I like how nice. we had different things. You gave the ultimate reason and I gave the outflowing of it. That was beautiful. Yeah, uh, that really is good. And, and again, and I, and, I, and I love the idea that you got to put something on. You have to replace it. You can't right. just leave it like that. Well, we close the book of Colossians in our next session. Thank you all for joining us. On our end, it's been an adventure. I hope it works out. On your end, hopefully you're going, what are you talking about? That's my goal. God bless you all. This has been Masterclass Theology from Colossians 3 to Colossians 4, verse 1. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.